You're listening to Spill the Red Rum, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Menon, and my usual co-host, Melody, is currently, for the second episode, on vacation. At the moment, she must be in Munar, in Kerala, where she is... I don't know why I said Kerala so weirdly. I don't know. It just came out. But um, she's currently on a retreat that I'm almost convinced is a cult, but um, maybe she can give you guys an update on the next episode because she'll be back then let's hope so fingers crossed because i can't do this alone do you know how much of effort it is to script record edit and handle social media accounts it's insane it's a lot of work melody come back i cannot do this alone (laughs) i'm kidding it's fine i'm not crying you're crying so now the usual pleasantries we're two sisters who love everything true crime so you know you're in for a good crime Pun intended. Again, weird to say it alone. The content of this podcast might be disturbing and sensitive to some listeners. Please proceed with caution. Our sources are listed on our website at spilltheredrumpodcast.com if you'd like to check them out. And on Spill the Red Rum, we strive to deliver the most accurate content. However, it is difficult to verify the credibility of the listed sources. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at spilltheredrum or on our website, like I had mentioned earlier, spilltheredrumpodcast.com, for updates about new episodes and for case images. Also, if you like what you're listening to right now, or if you've listened to our episodes that we've recorded earlier, and you like what you hear, give us a rating, five stars. And also, if you could share um, our page with your friends on social media and tag us, that would be amazing. So, this is the second part of um, our Abraham Lee Shakespeare case. If you haven't listened to the first episode of this case, I highly recommend that you check it out because honestly, if you haven't, this episode will make no sense. But um, I'm just going to give a little recap for all of those who had listened to the episode last week. Abraham Lee Shakespeare was a lottery winner from Florida who generously gave away most of his winnings to those in need. And even to those who just wanted a piece. In November 2009, his cousin Cedric informed the police that Shakespeare had been missing for the past seven months. Most people believed that he had run away with his winnings, but the police started investigating immediately anyway. They were informed that D.D. Moore, Abraham's financial advisor, would know something about it. And she told them that he had run away and that she helped him with it. Finally, after Elizabeth, his mother, gets a call from a phone given to her by Dee Dee from a person claiming to be Shakespeare, the police were led to Greg Smith, the caller, an old friend of Abraham, who worked out a deal with Dee Dee to make the call to Elizabeth. So, was Dee Dee a friend trying to protect Abraham? Or was she why he disappeared? In this episode, we'll get into what happened, what was the investigation, and what was the final verdict, what happened at the end. And if you didn't look it up on the internet, good for you, because you're about to find out everything now. And for those who did look up the internet, please keep listening. I I cannot afford to lose you. (laughs) I'm kidding. So, as it turns out, Didi was S-H-A-D-Y. Shady. In fact, she was 50 shades of shady. I came up with that by myself, by the way. 
and the police were already onto this. When they took a look at her background, what they found was a checkered past, one of deceit, fraud and false allegations. Remember how I said she had her own whole company that she founded with a number of side hustles? Well, she wasn't earning enough for how much she was spending. She was heavily in debt and couldn't make payments on her house or car leases. Didi was a cold, calculated woman who had a lengthy criminal past too. She had been arrested for a number of offenses ranging from insurance fraud to shoplifting to writing bad checks. And that's not all. The most shocking instance was when she had taken out a loan to treat herself to a new car. A Lincoln Navigator. One that she clearly couldn't afford. So like a decent human being, when she couldn't make her bank payments, she immediately went to the bank about it and told them that she was giving up her car without a fight. Wrong. <laughs> that doesn't sound anything like terrible old Dee Dee. Instead, she went on to hide the car in a garage and file a complaint to the police saying that she was attacked, kidnapped, sexually assaulted and robbed while the perpetrator ended up taking her car with them. In the hopes of winning some sympathy points, she even went as far as to tape her own wrists and throw herself out of a moving car. The investigation finally proved that it was all fabricated by Dee Dee, for which she received probation. Can you imagine that? What also made her the absolute worst was her manipulation tactics that conned tons of people out of thousands of dollars when she promised to help them set up their business, but basically just robbed them and dipped, never to be heard of again. When she first met Abraham, she told him that she wanted to help him manage his money. And while doing that, she also helped him start up a company. But unfortunately, it was only his name that was on the contracts. And she had complete control over his finances. After all the, quotes hard work she had done, Dee Dee helped herself to $1 million of the very little money that Abraham had left. With it, she went on a lavish holiday and bought herself expensive cars and jewelry, all of which she said Abraham gifted to her for helping him out at his time of need. And as his money started to rapidly run out, she started moving what was left into multiple accounts, one that was even her own business account. In February 2009, just two months before Abraham went missing, his official bank account stood just a little over $44,000. So fast forward to where we are with the police. Unfortunately for Dee Dee, the police were already on to her and kept watching her closely. They wanted to make it seem like they were working with her to locate Shakespeare. But they, what they were really doing was gathering evidence to hopefully find enough to arrest her or catch her in a lie when they spoke to her. And boy, did she lie. During their search, they discovered that when Shakespeare was missing, Didi moved into his house, the same house he bought for the first time when he won the lottery. She claimed that it was all part of a plan that she had with Shakespeare, that he sold her the home for $655,000, and transferred all of his assets and money to her name before leaving. That's all of his assets and money. And what's worse is that there weren't any contracts to prove that this was the case. At this point, Didi was just living it up in 
Abraham Shakespeare's home and spending what seemed like the last of his money. The police by now knew that they had someone who could help them, Greg Smith, who they were finally able to convince to turn on Dee Dee. They showed him the evidence and told him all about her past, telling him that this is what she does to people and that she wasn't to be trusted. He too was a victim of her manipulation and so he decided to help the cops out. From then on, with every interaction he had with her, he had a Red Bull with a wire in it so that he could pass on information to the police. Throughout her interactions with him, Dee Dee kept telling Greg about how she doesn't know when he's going to come back and if he'll ever come back. She also says she hasn't heard from him in a while. But the whole time, Dee Dee keeps making attempts to stop people from looking for Abraham. For instance, she asked Greg to deliver a fake handwritten letter from Abraham to his mother Elizabeth, which is weird again because she knew that he couldn't read or write. In another case, she asked Sintoya Butler, Abraham's ex-girlfriend, to tell everyone that Abraham had visited her one night in exchange for $2,000. She also paid Abraham's cousin $5,000 to deliver a card to Elizabeth. After researching, I really think that she was trying to prove that he was alive to Elizabeth the most because she was the one who was most involved with the investigation. And she was one of the people who was really trying to look for him as well. At this point, the police knew that if they were ever to find Abraham, they knew they'd have to keep up with everything that Didi was saying. They knew the answer to everything lay with her. But by now, it was no surprise that the evidence against her was hard to ignore. It seemed like Dee Dee knew that they were closing in on her and in a moment of panic, she released an unseen video to the public and media that she had taken of Abraham that supported her whole story, that he had run away. This was their exchange. So in the video, you can see Dee Dee saying, you get tired of people asking you for money all the time, huh, Abe? Abraham responds, I've been tired a year ago. Didi says, you're just ready to start living life, huh? Abraham says, they don't take no for an answer, so. Didi says, so, where do you want to go? Abraham says, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not a picky person. Didi says, are you going to miss your home? Abraham says, yep, I'll miss it, but life goes on. An old friend of Abraham's, Judith, who had also become a business associate of Didi's, revealed that he was slowly starting to worry about how much money was in his account and he wanted to take a deeper look into it. When she told Didi about it, Didi flipped. She asked Judith to stop him because there was almost nothing left in his bank account. This all happened in March 2009, the month before Abraham went missing. On Jan 13, 2010, the authorities finally made it official to the public that they believed that there was some foul play with Abraham's disappearance and they named Dee Dee as a person of interest. Bull move, right? And in true Dee Dee fashion, she called Greg Smith just a few days later and asked him if he knew someone who could take the fall for Abraham's murder. He immediately let the police know about it and they asked him to call her back right away. On the phone, he told her that he had an uncle 
who was looking at 20 years in jail for drug charges and that he would be the person to speak to about this. Of course, there was no uncle. It was an undercover cop named Mike. She called him and set up a meeting straight away. At the meeting, she told him that she did feel that Abraham was dead. But if he actually was, she had nothing to do with it. But he said he needed more information if he was going to pin it on himself. She said she'll find out more and get back to him immediately. She also offered him $50,000 as payment to take the fall for the crime. Finally, this is just what the cops needed to make their case. Later, she met Greg and gave him a 38 caliber pistol, which she believed was the murder weapon. By the way, this gun was also registered in her name. So I don't know where she was going with this. But um, she took him to a house in Plant City, which is also in Florida, one that she had purchased with Abraham's money and that her boyfriend was currently residing in. She walked over to a concrete slab outside the house where she claimed Shakespeare was buried. Smith went straight away to the police who were at the house in Plant City less than 24 hours later. And after 48 hours of digging, they found Abraham's body. Buried 9 feet deep and under a 30 by 30 foot concrete slab. It was determined that his cause of death was two shots in the chest. Now, Dee Dee found investigators at the property herself, and she finally was ready to talk. Except, as we all know by now, Dee Dee is not an ordinary person. So, of course, to literally no one's surprise, she continued to lie about everything. In her initial story, she told the cops that the killer's name was Ronald and that he had told her where Abraham was buried. She said that it was all part of a drug deal gone wrong and that she had watched Abraham get shot before they cleaned out his safe and took away all of his money. And she had said that they had left her alive because they wanted her to keep making payments on his behalf. Otherwise, they would kill her son if she ever did not live up to her promise or went to the police. What's funny right now is that the police already knew about Ronald. In fact, they had heard all about him when they were monitoring Greg and Didi's conversations, which was where she had made up the entire thing completely. She had made up Ronald way back when she was still trying to clear her name. Honestly, it was all crumbling down for Dee Dee by now, and she couldn't even keep up with her own lies. So after they had questioned her for a bit, the investigators still didn't believe a thing that she was saying, but they asked her to go anyway, since they didn't have any concrete evidence to keep her there. But after the initial interrogation, they worked on building the story and the sequence of events, all with the help of witnesses and the people that she had tried to bribe and lied to. Police looked into her phone records and found that every time Abraham and her would text back and forth, they always pinged at the same cell phone tower, which meant that she had his phone the entire time. This further clarified their story. And so did Dee Dee's ex-husband, James Moore, who spoke to police on January 28, 2010, and told them about how Dee Dee had asked him to dig a big hole in her yard. Not sus at all, right? 
when he asked what it was for, she said that she just needed to bury some trash. He had done so and left the property. And a couple of hours later, she had called him back again to fill the hole back up. But it was dark by them and he couldn't see anything. He did it anyway though. And he said that she had asked him to do this in early April. So police by now believe that Didi had killed him around April 6th or 7th. Now back to Didi. She couldn't keep her mouth shut. She couldn't keep quiet at all with the media or the public. She would take any chance she could to clear her name, but truly, no one was buying it. She honestly changed her story so many times and made them so elaborate that they were so unbelievable, it was honestly laughable. The police kept catching her in her lies, but it seemed like she was so jaded with everything that was happening that her stories became almost too far-fetched and she would come up with a bunch of empty excuses. Here are a few of the bizarre theories that she had let investigators believe when they were interrogating her. Her first was that she had said that Abraham had run away with his passport to start a new life to avoid paying child support. Another one was that he was dying of AIDS. Another one was that there was a video of him with an underage 14-year-old girl that was circulating the internet and he wanted to lay low to avoid being arrested. And in another more bizarre accusation, she even went so far as to say that her 14-year-old son killed Abraham. But the police still were not buying any of it. On February 19, 2010, she was formally charged with murder, to which she pled not guilty. Three years after Abraham's death, Didi was set to stand trial. And of course, Didi remained calm and composed through the entire hearing so that justice could finally be served without any hindrance and people could go through the case stress-free and get back home to their family on time. Wrong. Would it really be her if she didn't stretch out this trial and waste everyone's time though? Instead, she was a giant drama mama and was completely animated throughout the entire thing, making it difficult for everyone involved. She would often cry hysterically, laugh out loud, have random outbursts, make bizarre statements and constantly make faces whenever a witness took the stand or a lawyer spoke up, even to the judge. In fact, it was because of this that the microphones had all been turned off in the courtroom and the judge had to keep pausing each session to address her directly and ask her to be quiet. And honestly, she was reprimanded for a bunch of these things. She said she had asked her lawyers if she could take the stand to defend herself, but they had insisted that she shouldn't. But her lawyers said it was all her idea not to speak for herself. Witness after witness took the stand to speak their truth. The evidence and testimonies against her were hard to shake in front of the jury. The prosecution showed surveillance videos of Didi at a convenience store to further prove their point. In it, you can see Didi purchasing gloves, duct tape, plastic sheeting and other items, all of which were found near Abraham's buried body. 
It was also revealed that Didi had made sexual advances to one of the investigating officers who had taken the stand. She she had told him that when she was proved innocent that she would pursue a relationship with him. And again, in true Didi fashion, it was revealed that she had phoned her father who was in poor health at the time and asked him if he could take the fall for her as well. What I really can't stand about her is her willingness to just put the blame on someone else. And not just any random person, honestly. It was her son at first. And then it was her father. Like, honestly, who does that? It's clear that she has no remorse for what she did and no conscience either. She's willing to throw anyone under the bus to clear her name. On December 12th, 2012, after just three hours of deliberation, the jury came back with a guilty verdict, sentencing Didi to a life in prison without the possibility of parole. Didi was livid with her legal team. She said that if she was allowed to stand for herself and defend herself, she'd be a free woman. However, they once again pressed that it was her own decision not to speak during the trial. Now, there was this one thing that the judge had said that was so true about Didi. It was that she was cold, calculated and cruel. Today, she is serving her life term in Lowell Correctional Institution where she continues to file multiple appeals and still after all these years, continues to change her story, implicating a ton of people. In 2019, she wrote a letter to the judge begging for a new trial and apologized to Elizabeth, Abraham's mother, while apparently confessing a whole new story that was about Greg Smith, who, according to her and now, had killed Abraham and that it wasn't some big drug deal all along. Again, it was another attempt to maintain her innocence and not take responsibility for anything. Another thing that I found so bizarre that I was just reading and had come across was that there was apparently a petition for um, lottery winners' identities to not be revealed for the first 30 days of them winning the lottery just to avoid harassment and the kind of humiliation that Abraham had faced. And Didi was supporting this. She straight up was like, I don't want, I don't think it's right for, for lottery winners' identities to be revealed just because there'll be people out there who will take advantage of them and rob them clean, which is exactly what she did to Abraham. Honestly, she is the worst. Abraham is remembered as a generous man with a kind heart who gave all he could to make those around him happy. He was a man who led with his heart and was unfortunately taken too soon, all from a woman who used him for her own greed. And that's our case. That's the case of Abraham Lee Shakespeare. That was quite a a wild one, honestly. I've been meaning to do this case for so long. I had seen it on reels and... As soon as I had seen it, I knew that it was something that I had to cover because it's such a deep case. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Tune in next week for a weekly dose of Spill the Red Rum and hopefully an announcement about how we're going to take this podcast forward. And also Melody will be back, so you guys have that to look forward to. So, see you guys next time. Bye! Bye!